The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, AstraZeneca out with efficacy data for its COVID vaccine. President of AstraZeneca US, Dr. Rude Dauber. We are thrilled by the results uh, we have disclosed this morning. 79% efficacy against symptomatic COVID-19, but I think equally very important, 100% protection against severe disease and hospitalization. And Wall Street's rookies are speaking up. 100-hour work weeks are taking their toll on junior bankers, but veteran financiers have little sympathy. Vanity Fair's William Cohen. We all had these thoughts and we were all thought we were working too hard. That's just the way it is. And we didn't really say anything. And Kate Kelly from the New York Times. You know, this is the nature of entry-level banking, and I'm not certain that it's going to change. Those stories, plus another birthday for the ageless William Shatner, a new price target for Tesla stock, and of course, some March Madness updates. I was betting on the opposite of my bracket picks. And that was starting to work. Smart. It's Monday, March 22nd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Carnan. Andrew is off this week. Results are in from a U.S. study that show AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine is 100% effective against severe disease and hospitalization. It's 79% effective at preventing symptomatic illness. And the study also shows no higher risk of blood clots, which had been the subject of investigations overseas, the reasons that they had shut down in several countries in the EU. That's Rutgers red you're wearing, isn't it? I'm sorry about that. Uh, it is. That was, uh, I know. But they played so well. Great showing. I, I know. Houston is a good team. I told your husband that. He said we got a really Houston's weak. Houston's a great team. It's number we- six in the country. That's what I mean. He said we got a, a weak number two seed. I go, Houston is not. Houston yeah. beat Cincinnati by 30. But you know what? I'm done. I'm uh, Make it stop. Please. 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 <laughs> I was going to say, Rutgers performed please. better than your bracket, I am sure. Make it stop. You know who has a, a bracket? It's like she, she's like a thousand out of three million. Blake, my daughter. She picks, You're kidding me. She picks Loyola because picks- of Sister Jean. She picks Syracuse because her financial literacy group has a chapter in Syracuse. So, oh, I'm picking Syracuse. And then she picked not one thing oh, had Blake. anything. Not one thing had anything to do. With she even tweeted, so I haven't what? seen a single game. I haven't seen kick, killing, killing me for a while. I'll tell you what was working, <laughs> and then we'll get to the news. I was betting yeah. on the opposite of my bracket picks, and that was starting smart. to work. That was starting to work. Like Very the gods were like, but then they figured that out, and then the point spread started. I started losing because of that. But the thing that I'm most thankful <laughs> they for. They figured that out and made you They lose. figured it out. They figured out. I was betting against myself and it was working. It was like, wow, I figured out mm-hmm. a system here. And then that stopped working. But uh, number one, I'm glad I bet $3 because there's no way to make money doing this. It's impossible. You will be in a world of hurt. Did you see? I had Illinois going all the way. They lost to, to Sister Jean's <laughs> team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That bracket busted. Uh, I mean, did you see? Uh, I mean, Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts. Who knew? I, I didn't see the final last night. 
Uh, the final last night with Florida. Yeah, but hey, just remind me later. We've got news that we should get to, but remind me. I talked to Buffett last night, Warren Buffett, about the bracket that they do at Berkshire. Yeah, no about the bra- brackets they do at Berkshire. And we Forget can, it. We can, no, Never it was happened. A terrible year, Never but happened. I'll tell you what Never the news happened. was like. You will rise for you will be the second coming of of jc if anyone ever does it they're they're not human if anyone ever gets all the brackets completely right honestly i think we'll cure you only have to get the first round right if you get if you get 32 if you can pick 32 they'll pay you a million dollars so which they've had 31 out of 32 but not this year not this year well rutgers did a great showing uh great uh, could have gone into that last three-pointer The wealthiest 1% of U.S. households failed to report about 21% of their income. That's according to a new study that's being published by the National Bureau of Economic Research. Researchers there found that the richest Americans use sophisticated strategies that random audits don't detect, including businesses that are set up as partnerships to pass through income to individual tax returns, avoiding taxation at the corporate level. The commissioner of the IRS referenced this new research in congressional testimony last week. He said each additional dollar spent on tax enforcement could yield five to seven dollars in revenue. But that's a good one where individuals are pretending that they're businesses and passing that through. That, that's something we should really crack down on. Instead of raising rates, why don't you go after all the people who are kind of getting around at the edges and tighten things up? I just don't understand what what we're really saying here. Uh, it, are, is it legal? I don't think so. I, I, I okay. think it's, then that, it's then, at then the that's very not best. Avoidance. It's that's evasion. Disingenuous. That's, not that's tax yeah. evasion. Yeah. And that's why I, look, when I, we I say, think at the very best, it's a disingenuous. You're looking to get these lower rates and pretending that you are a corporation when you're an individual who should be paying. It should be clear in the law, rates. though. Disingenuous, or you know, yeah. those are all words. It should be clear in the law. If you if you're breaking it's probably the law, gray area. well. If it's a gray area, then you're bending the law, and people are going to do that. And, but the and law you, should be clearer. Make, right. Make the, the law, law very should be clear. clear. I mean, that's but what I, I mean. Get rid of any of these. If you evade taxes, you, you should go to jail. There, there are penalties where you go to jail if you are hmm. deliberately evading taxes. Now, if you're setting up sophisticated tax strategies. But I think this may be a, this may be a case where it's not very, right, to, to try and work around the gray areas of the law where know. it's not done more clearly. This is something that we should make very clear. If you are an individual who's pretending you're a corporation, I can hear a million people. I, I know people who do this. Right. I, I can hear the excuses for why you're doing this. But as a result, you're not paying the individual tax rate for the, the work that you would be doing, this W-2 work. That's crazy. But then you get into the, you know, the finger pointing uh, to real estate people who, or for companies that have you know, 10-year loss carry forwards and things like that. And, and you have finger pointing that they're not paying their, their fair share when it's totally Look, legal. So, you, you know, it's either, it's either evasion, or, avo- rates, it's either evasion if, or avoidance. If you need more money... Look, if you need more money, I wish that, A, Congress would make, be clearer about the laws and then the IRS would enforce those laws, rather than raising taxes on everybody who's already paying those high no. rates because we're not avoiding it. Right, like, I, I, I prefer I just, to see them tighten up around the edges. There's legal strategies that, that people are perfectly um, justified legal. in using. Yeah, if it's legal, I would, you know, I, if, if you can do it, that's... If it's avoidance, it's one thing. It's very clear. Avoidance is what it's. It, it, there are, that, that Supreme Court justice, Hand, whatever his name was, said it's patriotic to make sure that you don't pay a penny more than you're supposed to pay. I know we've got patriotic millionaires who, by the way, never voluntarily pay anyway. They just lecture everyone else. Um, 
But, um, you know, if it's, if it's evasion, you need to go to jail. And, and if you're not talking about if you're not reporting income that you're supposed to report and that's done all the time, you see people get caught doing that and they, they go to jail. They, they're in trouble. I mean, it becomes a huge scandal. Now, if you're setting up, you know, these intricate that that's that's unfortunate. Rich people can find really great accountants to set up really intricate, uh, you know, especially estate taxes. You think rich people pay estate taxes? They said they've got all kinds of well, ways that they, they, they yeah. get around that. So then change the law. But if it's within the law, then, you know, I would do it, too. Check out the shares of Tesla over the weekend. ARK uh, invests Kathy Wood out with a new price target on the stock, expecting it to hit $3,000 by 2025. That means Wood expects to earn about 50 percent a year on average between now and 2025, based on Friday's closing price of $655 a share. A $3,000 a share price uh, would also give Tesla a roughly, get this, $3.6 trillion market cap. See, the Wall Street Journal, the Journal has a piece on, on, on these influencers, and it's kind of cool. We know them all. Uh, some of them, Chamath is on here. Portnoy is on mm-hmm. here. Kathy Wood. Uh, and it, it says this is nothing new. It's got to be Elon, right? Elon's the first guy they mentioned. So we were just talking about when he says game stunk. And then it goes, and I like this. This isn't new. It used to be Bill Miller, Peter Lynch, and Warren Buffett. <laughs> I don't know. Might be a little bit new <laughs> when it becomes, you know... <laughs> Dave Portnoy, you know, and Warren Buffett, a little bit different these days. I mentioned earlier that I had some information on the Berkshire Hathaway Bracket Challenge. Remember, this is something they've been doing for about five years now in-house. They've got 360,000 employees. Any of them can sign up for this Bracket Challenge. And if you pick the first round, all 32 games, you get a million dollars. If you make it, I think, to the Sweet 16, you would get a million dollars a year for life. And just based on who does the best, whatever employee does the best, they give $100,000 to that employee. And, and by the way, Buffett tweaked the rules because, as you know, he's a Creighton fan. If, you, if Creighton makes it to the Final Four, whoever wins gets $200,000. Um, and they already have a winner. And this year was faster than ever. First of all, only about 50,000 people signed up, which he was a little surprised by because people are at home. But I guess uh, t- normally you'd have closer to 80,000 people signing up. But usually it happens because people are in the office kind of trash talking and getting excited about it, building morale, right. going back and forth between the tw- teams. But with so many people working at home, a lot of people didn't do it or forgot like I did this year. Mm. Um, this was the fastest they've ever seen a winner. It only took about 11 games because there were so many bracket busters this time around. And they have a guy who works in one of their insurance companies who tells them the numbers every day. He kind of runs through and says, OK, if Ohio State had won, he had said there'd be about 15,000 people who would still be left in the pool. If Oral Roberts won, it would only be about 250 people. And in fact, Oral Roberts won. So that was a big bracket buster for them that time around. Um, and he just says he's never seen anything like it. And Nuts. it was all over by the 11th game. Um, He said he hadn't actually injured himself, but he would have done miserably, he said, had he filled out a bracket. As bad as I've done. Like I said, I'm 50. You and Quayle. I mean, what happened? You and your husband, neither one of you. You know, so you're like, oh, you're you're not even. It's busy here. It's, (laughs) you know, I meant to do it. I literally came home from picking up Kyle from school and realized I'd missed the deadline. I know there's we had I thought, wow, it's going to be a great year. There's like 90 people, but it's not. It's not. It's like half that, I think. Uh, they're all on there, but no, they didn't complete their uh, 
didn't complete their brackets. Actually, it's been very, yeah. uh, it's been a big hit. I mean, if you really were counting on your picks, if you were really married to your picks and feeling good about them, just watching what happened has been very, <laughs> very depressing. That's the best part of March Madness. The, yeah. Actually, the best part is the games, but the other best part is watching people who are so confident get crumbled. My brackets. I mean, the whole, I know, you know all you, the teams. You got them all the way to the hmm. final four, and they're dead the very first day. They're like, very, they're like yeah, within right. the, first, no fun. the first half. The first half of the year, they're like dead. It's like, uh, never A mind. lot of bracket busters this year. What happened to Illinois? You know, what happened? To, so many what happens. Texas. Texas, all of them. So many. We're going to break. Happy birthday, Bill Shatner. Next on Squawk Pod, the big news from the latest COVID vaccine candidate. That's number four, headed out for emergency use. AstraZeneca's top U.S. executive on efficacy, overcoming stumbles, and fighting virus variants. We have good hopes, at least for the U.K. and the Brazilian variants, that our vaccine is highly effective. And the jury is still out with respect to to the South African variants. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod, today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Here's Joe. Here's the news breaking around 3 a.m. Eastern AstraZeneca, releasing the efficacy numbers from its U.S. vaccine clinical trial. And Meg Terrell has been waiting patiently uh, with these numbers. Um, they're, they're good, Meg. They, they're not in the 90s, but all these vaccines, give me any of them, twice, six times. Exactly, Joe. This one would be twice. It is a two-shot vaccine from AstraZeneca. These were highly anticipated results from the U.S. trial of AstraZeneca and Oxford's vaccine of 32,000 people. The headline number, 79% efficacy against symptomatic disease. They say it was 100% effective against severe disease and hospitalization. And they say for people who are over 65, this was an important group because there were some questions about efficacy in this group. 80% efficacy for folks 65 and older. Uh, Now, they also said it was well tolerated in this clinical trial, and they specifically looked at whether there was a risk of clotting, for example, because, of course, there are those concerns in Europe. And they said there were no safety concerns, including uh, around clotting in the trial. Now, this was run in the U.S., Peru and Chile, uh, more than 32,000 people. And they said they saw 141 symptomatic cases here at this interim look. So they are going to continue uh, to analyze these data and then file for emergency use authorization in the United States in the coming weeks. Now, guys, we mentioned this is a two-shot vaccine. They gave the doses four weeks apart. And and interestingly, they saw actually in previous trials that when they spaced those doses farther apart, more than 12 weeks, the efficacy number actually went up. And so it'll be very interesting to see what their strategy is with the FDA uh, and what the dosing strategy turns out to be. But 79% efficacy higher, I think, than many people expected for these results, given what we've seen around the world so far. 
are. Um, and guys, this is a vaccine that can be stored in the fridge for six months. So that makes it easier to administer. There are some remaining questions, though, that 100 percent efficacy against severe disease. We don't know how many cases there were in the placebo group of severe disease or hospitalizations. So those will be further data we'll be looking for. In addition to the presence of variants in the trial, we don't know you know, what what makeup of variants there were here in the U.S., Peru and Chile in this trial, guys. But pretty positive results here for AstraZeneca this morning, Joe. Thanks, Meg. For more about the good news, Meg Terrell brought the president of AstraZeneca U.S. Biopharmaceuticals, Dr. Rude Dauber, onto the TV broadcast this morning. Dr. Dauber, it's great to see you this morning. These data better than expected from your U.S. trial, 79% efficacy overall. You plan to file for emergency use authorization, we understand, within the coming weeks. What's your expectation for the timing of when this could be available here in the U.S. and the role this vaccine could play, as there are already three others here on the market? Yeah, thank you so much for having me in in, in your show. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are thrilled by the results uh, we have disclosed this uh, this morning, 79% efficacy against symptomatic COVID-19, but I think equally very important, 100% protection against severe disease and hospitalization. So the plan is to, to file in the first half of April for the emergency use authorization. And of course, then it's in the hands of, uh, of the FDA how fast they can uh, decide about uh, the, uh, the approval. Uh, and assume that the approval will will take uh, place in in a fast uh, fast way. We hope to deliver 30 million uh, doses instantly after the EUA for for Americans to get vaccinated. I think it's incredibly important that despite the good progress we have seen across all vaccine uh, producers, that there is still a need for more vaccines in the United States, but clearly also uh, in the world. So we are thrilled with those results, and hopefully it will help in order to fight against this terrible pandemic. Mm, you mentioned that 100% efficacy against severe disease and hospitalization, which of course is what you want to see vaccines do. Can you tell us anything about the strength of that finding? How many people in the placebo group were hospitalized or had severe disease? Yeah, so it was a very large trial. It was a trial over, with over 30,000 participants, primarily in, in, in the United States, but also some participants in Peru and, and Chile. Uh, and what we clearly saw is that we had in our in our vaccinated group zero cases of severe disease or or death, while we had five cases in the, in the in the non-vaccinated uh, group. So very strong. It's an interim analysis. Uh, so we uh, we are still accumulating uh, more, some more events, uh, but we are very comfortable based also on other trials that the vaccine is 100% protective against uh, severe disease and hospitalization. And have you seen uh, you know, the presence of variants in these data? Of course, these are interim results, uh, but any sequencing that you've done so far showing efficacy against uh, different variants of the coronavirus? Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent uh, question. The short answer is no. We are, as we speak, we are analyzing uh, the, the sequence of all the variants. Of course, what we observe now in the United States, as well as across the world, is different than we saw, let's say, uh, seven, eight months ago. The Brazilian variant, the UK variant, in some cases the South African variant. So we will start, or we have already started, uh, sequencing of uh, of all the variants in in all the subjects, uh, and that will be clearly part of uh, the package uh, submitted to the FDA as well. 
And tell us about the safety analysis here. Of course, the blood clot risk uh, in Europe causing several countries to suspend use of the vaccine. Europe then clearing the vaccine. Many countries resuming its use. You uh, specifically looked at this in the trial and your independent data safety monitoring board did and didn't find that risk. How is AstraZeneca looking at that risk and also about uh, how to communicate about the safety of this vaccine and, and if that's a hurdle to overcome for you? Yeah, as, as always, and I think I speak on behalf of all manufacturers, uh, safety, patient safety is our number one uh, priority. So every signal we take extremely seriously. Uh, but of course, equally, uh, regulators are, are doing the same, as well as in this case, the Data Safety Monitoring Board. I think it was very pleasing to see that even with a magnifying glass, the Data Safety Monitoring Board didn't see any imbalance between the vaccinated group and the placebo group. So that gives us a lot of confidence. Equally, as you perhaps have seen also last week, two very important regulators, the, the EMA in Europe as well as the MHRA in the UK, confirmed the, the, the safety and they concluded that the uh, efficacy of the vaccine far outweighs the, 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 the safety of, uh, of, of, of the vaccine. So we are very comfortable and, and confident, but equally, of course, this is always an area where we will look into. And, and if there is any need in order to do more, we will certainly do that. Dr. Dauber, just to, to clarify, the efficacy numbers that we've seen were based on the trials that were run when? Because as you mentioned, things are changing here pretty rapidly in the United States in terms of the variants that, that are running around here. Same story for the other companies that had run their trials earlier. But those, those trials were run seven to eight months ago. How, how recent and updated is that information and, and how closely does it look like the situation that we're watching in the United States today with those variants? Yeah. Once again, that's that's uh, that's absolutely an, an excellent uh, question. We, we know in, uh, in 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 the United States as well that the UK variant is 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 is, is growing very fast, and uh, so the analysis we are going to do once again is is to to test by, uh, and sequence by PCR uh, all the different variants of all the subjects uh, which were part of our study, and that will give us insight uh, how the efficacy will. Uh, 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 will uh, hold up against all those uh, all those variants. So there's a lot of work ongoing, not only in the United States but across the globe, in order to get a better feel for the effect effectiveness of of the vaccine. Um, and we have good hopes, at least for the UK and the Brazilian variants, that our vaccine is highly effective. And the jury is still out for, with respect to the to the South African variant. Uh, but there's a lot of effort already ongoing in order to produce potentially a new vaccine which will cover the variants in a more aggressive and better way. Mm. Tell us about um, AstraZeneca's ability to meet supply obligations. We understand that uh, in terms of supplying Europe, you'll be about 100 million doses short in the first half of this year. Um, I know you have big goals of 3 billion doses for the full year. Um, what does it look like right now in terms of your ability to supply the world? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's another excellent uh, question. We do everything what we can do in order to uh, beef up our, our supply. It's a very complex uh, process. We knew that. We have set ourselves high ambitions, uh, uh, not only for for the developed market but also for the developing uh, countries in, in in the world. Uh, what what we are always saying: no one is is safe till the whole world is 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 safe. And as we speak, we are supplying multiple countries. Uh, in, uh, in 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 the world, but of course the 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 effort is is is, is massive. Uh, we need to supply uh, uh, in in a combined way uh, um, uh, billions of dollars, uh, billions of uh, doses uh, across the world. Uh, that's not easy, uh, but equally we are working hard in order to improve our yields 
of our manufacturing uh, uh, sites. In the U.S. specifically, we're getting a, a lot of support from the U.S. government. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, we hope to re release or we will release uh, instantly 30 million doses uh, in, in, the, in the first uh, week of uh, the EOA. Uh, and equally, then we will beef that up with another 20 million in that month. And then you will see every month 15 to 20 million from our uh, U.S. supply chain. But once again, uh, equitable access for us is a crucial part of our strategy. So we are doing everything in order to supply as good as we can. All right, Rude Domberg, thanks so much for being here this morning. We appreciate it. Next on Squawk Pod, are Wall Streeters working too hard? And honestly, does anyone care? Junior bankers are highlighting what they deem unfair work conditions. New York Times reporter Kate Kelly. I think in this generation, people are speaking up. They feel like, you know, talent is at a premium in this market and they need to be able to stand up for what's important to them, be it political, be it lifestyle. And Vanity Fair's William Cohen. Nothing's really going to change. It takes a long time to hire and train these individuals. And these firms are just flat out busy now, thanks to the Federal Reserve's policies of the last year. That conversation right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. The issue of work-life balance is being brought up by first-year employees at Goldman Sachs. A small survey conducted in February reveals that uh, they often work about 100 hours a week. Joining us to, to discuss Wall Street's work culture, Bill Cohen, Vanity Fair special correspondent, CNBC contributor, and Kate Kelly, New York Times Wall Street reporter, also a CNBC a contributor. You, are those numbers real, Kate? I, I, I got to admit, uh, five days, five 16-hour days, what's that, 55, that's 80. Then you've got to work Saturday and, how do you get to 110 hours? Do you believe that? Now, what are they doing when they're there? Aren't they, do you think they're screwing around once in a while? Or are they really, I mean, do we see the evidence in, uh, of the fruits of their labor and their great analysis? What are they really doing? They've got a stack of papers here and they got, it's got to end up over here? What, what, what are they doing? Hard to say, right? Because they're kind of at the bottom of the hierarchy, Joe, and they're doing all the sort of crunch work that goes into TMT deals. And uh, of course, you wouldn't see it in the outside world. I think they said in the survey they're getting something like four hours of sleep a night. Um, to me, what was interesting about this is how much has changed and how much has not changed. So just to level set, these are 13 San Francisco-based young Goldman hires who are working from home. 
But even working from home and not having to commute and not having to kind of suit up, if you will, for the office, it still can be very stressful. And this is something we've all all learned in pandemic life too, right? There's this blurring of boundaries between work and home. Um, so when you're getting four hours of sleep a night, as they said, it's tough no matter where you are. Um, at the same time, you know, this is the nature of, of entry-level banking. And I, I'm not certain that it's going to change because unlike other firms and financial services, these Wall Street banks hire thousands of young people per year. They train them up, typically shoulder to shoulder in the office with a lot of mentorship opportunity. And then after a time, people either stay or they go to hedge funds, they go to private equity, they might go to big tech, they might go to fintech, but no other part of the industry provides this degree of training. That's something, Bill. I, I mean, what is the worst Goldman alumni is doing great, is he not? I mean, Goldman is a a wealth creation factory, Joe. I think we've known that for a long time. But look, you know, Kate's exactly right. I mean, uh, this is nothing new. Trust me, this is nothing new. What's new is the cleverness with which these 13 San Francisco first-year analysts at Goldman Sachs have gotten our attention and put together a clever uh, PowerPoint presentation that looks very professional and Goldman-like. And, you know, swirled it around on social media and got got a lot of attention. And it's sort of a cri de corps. I'm not sure it's going to change what happens day to day at Goldman Sachs or any other firm across the street. By the way, this isn't just Goldman Sachs. Believe me, it's just these kids at Goldman were clever enough to get attention. Uh, but they did get the attention of David Solomon, and uh, who's the CEO of Goldman. And so, you know, they're going to have to kind of deal with it. Uh, but nothing's really going to change. It takes a long time to hire and train these individuals. And these firms are just flat out busy now, thanks to the Federal Reserve's policies of the last year. They are just busier than ever, making minting money. And so these guys are just getting incredible training, if you want to look at it that way. And they're also working very, very hard, which is something that they signed up for. Obviously, uh, they knew at, right from the start when they were graduating college, this is what they're going to get. And they're well paid. And senior managers that, or, or David Solomon or whomever that is able to not work as hard and go to the Bahamas or whatever it is that they were sort of pointing to as I'm doing this and you're doing that, that that's not unique uh, either. Uh, when you're paying your dues at the, the lower rung, Kate, that's... It's that's, not unique. And I think David, you know, definitely has a home in the Bahamas. I think he has a home in the Hamptons, but I'm sure he's working when he's doing those things, taking calls in the car and whatnot. You know what I think is interesting about this, though, Bill and Joe, is that I think it's very generational. It reminds me of this piece I did recently on the Schwarzman Scholars, which are these master's program students who go to China for a year and study uh, as part of a fellowship started by Steve Schwarzman of Blackstone and, and seated, at least to begin with, by him. They recently sent this letter, about 160 out of about 600, so a not insignificant amount of these scholars sent a letter to Steve protesting some of his political donations. And I just thought, this is so interesting. I don't think this would have happened in my generation. But I think in this generation, people are speaking up. They feel like, you know, talent is at a premium uh, in this market, and they need to be able to stand up for what's important to them, be it political, be it lifestyle. Solomon, to be fair, has said he is um, focused on employee lifestyle and bringing one's whole self to work. You guys remember that he does electronic music on the side, and that's kind of part of him bringing his whole person to work. So I think I agree with Bill. It's, it's very canny of these uh, young hires to put together this deck and present it to management in that way. 
I think it's nice the way Kate phrased that, uh, Bill, that it's, you know, they want to be heard. It's got nothing to do with the entitlement that we see with a lot of young people or the, um, I I don't know. It's well documented, uh, at least the impression that some of us get with with some of our uh, younger um, associates around. It's it, it's at their talk. They're they're able to express themselves more. They they open up. That's a good thing, right, Bill? Well, I mean, it's it's a new thing. I mean, well, it's not a new thing. I mean, it's we have to deal with it. I mean, when I was on Wall Street, uh, for, you know, for seventeen years, you basically had to stifle yourself, uh, Edith, as you know, once upon a time used to be said. Uh, you know, you, we all had these thoughts, and we were all thought we were working too hard we all thought it was unfair that you know whatever it was felix right. or well, you know steve ratner you know went to martha's vineyard while we were all you know working our butts off uh you know that's just the way it is yeah, uh, and well, we didn't really say anything i'll bet and, you that's a there's one job for every thousand people that want to work at goldman i'm sure or, or ten thousand harder to get a, into goldman sachs and into get into harvard right now. yeah beck Guys, let me tell you some break, breaking news. I'm hoping we can get um, both Bill and, and Kate to comment on this. But Leon Black is quitting Apollo completely, according to Axios. And I think there may be some headlines in other places, too. You know that he was supposed to be stepping down as CEO and just taking over the role of, of chairman come July. But now it looks like he is out completely. Not entirely sure why for the change of plans in this. Uh, but I'll leave that up to you to maybe make some comment on. Kate, what do you think? Oh, Becky, I think this is probably, although I should say I'm not up to speed and it is breaking news, but I would guess maybe it's an extension of the board inquiry into the ties between Black and Jeffrey Epstein, which were found to be more extensive than uh, Leon first acknowledged a couple of years ago when Epstein um, was in prison. And, um, you know, that's an interesting story about Apollo. They they recently had some headlines about um, young hires uh, also facing quality of life issues. And I think they've got an interesting generational dilemma. Um, They do have two um, executives, Josh Harris and Mark Rowan, who are of a younger generation than black, uh, who have certainly been very active and were co-founders of the firm. Um, But even beyond that, um, they're going to need to think about that next level of leadership as they head into this crisis. Beck, I I just glossed over the Bill Shatner. William Shatner, you know how old he is, right? He's my we've he's been a friend of Squawk. I I forget. He's way older than you think he is. Yeah, he's been a friend of Squawk for a long time. Ninety. But he's like last year, I, I think he was on like the amazing race, like swinging on a vine across rivers to get, you know, to to catch a train over like in Malaysia or something. I mean, he's a like a, a a freak of nature, really. I mean, to be I think he found 90's some, the new 70, Joe. I think he found something on one of those travels. Someone told him something or, or gave him something in one of those other worlds where he, he visited to, to allow him to because he looks literally looks like he's about 60 right now. Anyway, uh, probably we, learned something from Spock. They, you know, yeah, yeah live exactly. a long time. we have traveled back in time. Uh, Jim Carrey. Does, I do a good <laughs> Jim Carrey imitating uh, Bill Shatner. Actually, I don't. It's not very good. Uh, but I do, uh, we did want to, that's trending, and I happened to notice that, and I knew, you know who else? Clint. Clint is another, uh, uh, another one, one of our, uh, he's still, you know, still making great movies as an actor and director. Uh, he must be close yeah. to 90, maybe he's over it. Yeah, I think he did turn Gotta hand it to Charlie Munger, he's 97, and he held that conference, you know, his, his annual meeting the other, uh, last month, and he yeah. was phenomenal. So, right, and still yeah. as nice and, and reticent as always, just, you know, sort of really... You know, yeah, cuddly. That's right. Cuddly, I think is the word. 
<laughs> exactly. That's why we love them. Yeah. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. And if you've already done that, thank you. Feel free to write us a review and share with your friends. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 